Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's trusted financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like managing finances with a partner without causing a breakup. We all know about that in my life and how hard that's been for me and also my listeners. You guys hear them talking about it on the mailbags. It is hard to manage finances with a partner. Putting away money for retirement, since I'm not going to be doing this podcast forever. Sorry, I guess I could, but retirement is huge for me. I am deeply focused on it right now and planning for my tax bills so I don't dread April every year. Taxes are a doozy and it's always changing. How do you know what to do? Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey, it's Gabby Dunn. If you want to listen to Bad With Money without ads, the best way to do that is by signing up for Stitcher Premium. Just go to stitcherpremium.com or the Premium tab in your Stitcher app and sign up with the promo code MONEY to try a free month of premium listening. You'll get ad-free listening to Bad With Money as well as all Stitcher and Earwolf shows. And your premium subscription supports our show directly too. That's stitcherpremium.com promo code MONEY for a free month of premium listening. Thank you! supposed to earn it or what to do with it or how to keep it you're a freak with a dark shameful secret but you're not the only one get your hidden financial fears with a blast of sun now your healing has begun it's bad with money with gabby done hi i'm gabby dunn welcome to the retirement edition of bad with money an episode about long-term financial planning coming to you in the midst of a political reality where we're not even sure we'll make it through the summer you got to say it with a smile, otherwise you'll cry. Guys, as you may recall from season one, episode two of Bad With Money with financial psychologist, Dr. Brad Klontz, I, until recently, hadn't thought at all about retirement. In that episode, Dr. Brad and I figured out that in order to have $50,000 a year to spend after I retire, I needed to come up with a plan to put aside $1.5 million over the course of the next 22 years. 
But I had a better idea. And so, so I just need to do one big Michael Bay movie. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Um, and so that's plan. And then don't touch that money ever again. And that so I would call that Plan B. Plan B. <laughs> plan B. And Plan B it's plan, is it's Plan B. Plan Michael Bay. <laughs> that's the way I thought about retirement when I started this show. For someone like me who works in show business, I don't know if you guys know I work in show business. It's uh, very stressful and not glamorous at all. The only way it made sense to think about not working anymore would be for some giant opportunity to come along that might make not working anymore theoretically possible. Otherwise, I assumed I'd pretty much just work until I fell over or until I got nominated for an Oscar like June Squibb, you know, like at an older age when I'm finally appreciated. But there are a lot of problems with working until you fall over beyond just my own ignorance of the practical ways to avoid working until you actually drop dead. Like the fact that American culture simultaneously shames those who don't work while also shaming those who do work for not prioritizing saving up for a day when they can quit working. Like the fact that not everyone who works can afford to save. And the social security system isn't robust enough to protect them when they retire, if there's any social security left. Like the fact that meaningful retirement savings requires a level of financial education that a lot of people simply don't have access to. And that's only the beginning. This week's topic is no different than the previous ones when it comes to the harsh realities of the American financial system. But unlike previous weeks, this is a situation where the politics of personal responsibility seem really inescapable. We live in a society that assumes most people are aspiring to a comfortable retirement at a comfortable age, and where the only way to access the financial reality that enables that is to get intensely real with yourself about your own priorities. Because Plan Bay is just as far-fetched as it sounds. Lucky for you, I've got some great guests on the show today who are going to explain exactly how to do that. First up, let's meet Bola Shakunbi of CleverGirlFinance.com. Bola says it's critical for all of us, particularly some women, to get real with themselves about retirement, even if it's the last thing we want to talk about. We'll talk about our hair, sex, makeup, Kim Kardashian, but when it comes to the whole money conversation, that's a little bit more challenging. There's nobody waiting for you come age 65 or whatever your age that you want to retire is. There's no one waiting for you with a bottle of champagne and a house on the beach and a million dollars and saying, hey, hey, girl, I built this for you. I saved this for you. You have to do it yourself. And so it's important of understanding that, OK, it's that far away, but I can start doing something now, even if it's in a small way. So I can start making my progress towards that goal I'm trying to accomplish of a million dollars, you know, two million dollars, whatever your your retirement number is, you want to start taking those steps. I don't think people like to think about getting old. Like, I don't think they like to think about one day I'm going to be 70 or something like that. It's very true. Nobody wants to think about getting old, but it's inevitable. <laughs> I hear so many of my friends, you know, I'm 28, but I hear a lot of my friends be like, this kind of funny thing of like, well, I'm not going to live past 30. And it's like, bitch, you are. You are going to live past 30. (laughs) Like you are, though. So get your shit in order. But also (laughs) women uh, outlive men by, you know, seven or so years. We actually need retirement for longer. So we need more money. But then we also don't don't make as much. So then men just die younger (laughs) than us with more money. This is insane. It is. And then On top of all of that is the fact that the financial services industry is created by guys 
And when they market financial products to women, they just slap pink on it. And they're like, here, finance for women. And it doesn't we don't relate the same way to, you know, those services as guys do. So many financial products are based on sports terminologies. And it's like even the bull on Wall Street, like it's a bull. (laughs) I know a lot of the personal finance industry, they will use sports analogies to talk to you. And there was one about saving for retirement that I read in Helene Olin's book. And it was like a questionnaire saying to see how good you would be at saving for retirement. And it was like, okay, in a college basketball game, what percentage does this team have of winning over this team? And she got the answer wrong because she was like, I don't fucking know college basketball. Yeah, I don't and, then, <laughs> and then they were like, well, you're going to be bad at saving for retirement. And she was like, all this proves is that I don't know college basketball. Exactly. And it's yeah, all those disadvantages. And so it's kind of like, as women, what do we do to make things work in our benefit? And it really boils down to the fact that we have to take control. We can't rely on anybody. And we have to do what works for us, knowing that we have these things stacked against us. So it's important to start with what you have. And that means if you can only save a dollar every paycheck, save a dollar. I've been in situations where I was trying to save money and I had a spare dollar in my checking account and I tried to transfer it to savings and it was blocked because it was too little money. (laughs) And I took that one dollar and I drove all the way to the bank to deposit it. So and when you're saving small amounts, it's not about the the amount, the one dollar. It's about building the habit and the consistency of putting money aside, because if you can't save when you have a little, you're not going to save when you have a lot of money. And that's the problem with people who are, quote unquote, wealthy, but broke. And also, like, interest is small, but if if you put a dollar, maybe in you'll have a dollar and two cents soon. You know what I mean? Yeah, a little plus a little adds up. I started putting stuff in a retirement fund, and I, I can't touch it. Like, well, unless there's, like, fees. But yeah. I'm it's helpful for me to think that that money doesn't exist. Yeah, and I think that's a good way to think about it and just have it automatically, have your money automatically deposited in there. And then one day you wake up 20 years from now, you're a millionaire. <laughs> I mean, this seems insane. (laughs) Like, I don't think anyone can even picture. Like, if you don't have a million dollars in your life, how do you have a million (laughs) dollars as a retiree? That seems nuts. But the thing is, you have to work your way to the million, right? So if you don't have $10, then get the 10 first. Why do you need a million? You don't need a million. Figure out what is your number. So it's basically... How much do you think you're going to need? Look at your life today and think about how much do you think you want, you're going to need to be able to live life comfortably every year post-retirement. So if you want to No one's comfortable. (laughs) Who's comfortable? I don't know anyone who's comfortable. Well, take an ideal number. I don't know, $50,000. Yeah. And then take that $50,000 and that's, for some people that's a lot, for some people that's nothing. And then multiply it by the average retirement life cycle from age 65 to like 85 so yeah. multiply by 20 years, and that gives you an idea of what you should be working towards. Think about the fact that when you get older, right, hopefully your kids are out of your life. <laughs> yeah, right. Get out. Um, you have fewer expenses. You know, you've paid off your car, ideally. Hopefully you've paid off your house, you know. So you kind of, if you have fewer expenses, you really don't need that much money. So when you lay out what you're paying for, things that hopefully will be eliminated, how much do you really need? And multiply that by 20 or 25 years. And that's where you start. And it may not be a number. For many people, it could be 500000 Some people yeah. could be $10 million, But you kind of figure out what you want. Yeah. How do you feel about talking to people about making the system work for them? Because it's kind of this thing where, like, personal responsibility, personal finance versus larger issues. And I, it's sort of 
interesting to talk to financial experts about like, well, until these bigger things are fixed, here's what you can do. Is that kind of how you see it? Yeah. I mean, when it comes to systems, I would say forget the system because systems are not always designed for everyone to succeed. Systems are designed for people to stay on a level. So again, it comes back to what is it that you want to accomplish? And when you start thinking about what you want to accomplish, then you're also going to start thinking about how can I get from where I am now to that next level that's going to help me accomplish. So does that mean earning more money? Does that mean cutting back on your expenses, you know, getting a part-time job? Does that mean starting a business, you know, going back to school to get more education for the next level you're trying to get to? Like, what is it that you want to do? What What is it that you're trying to get to? When you start thinking about systems, um, you kind of get stuck with the herd, if that makes any sense. <laughs> um, like you just, like you can, it, it can exist, coexist. Like you can be sort of like trying to figure out how to better stuff, but also protect yourself. Exactly. And one example I like to use when it comes to, you know, systems and people just assuming, oh, well, you know, maybe Social Security will be able to take care of me is the last thing you want is to be completely reliant on a system and then have to re- retire into a state-funded nursing home because you can't afford Jack. <laughs> What's like the best argument for people who don't, have any money or people who are low income or people who come from marginalized communities, how do we, what's the best way to convince them to like save even a little bit? I would say just start with what you have. There is this whole mentality out in the world that you have to have a lot of money to save, but you don't need to. And it's understanding that those pennies on the street, they add up. Like the small amounts matter and you have to build the habit and the consistency. That's just what it is. It boils down to habit and consistency. Once you're motivated to save, then you're going to be motivated to do other things to help you make more money or to cut back down on your expenses. And even if you stay at saving a dollar for the next year, right, a dollar every week, just keep doing that. Because when you start making more money, right, when you're in a better position, hopefully, then it's just second nature to you to save. As opposed to losing two years of savings or a year of savings or 10 years of savings because you're like, oh, I don't make enough money. Um, Start putting the little amounts in anyway. Yeah, even if after a couple of years you have like $100 or something. <laughs> you can still buy something with $100. <laughs> right. Or like, books. no, I didn't I didn't mean to call it small. <laughs> I just mean like it's something rather than nothing. Yeah, it's better than nothing. I don't know. It's, it's a hard sell to be like save for retirement to people who don't have anything. Like I, I know it like intellectually I know it's important, but it's like feels like such an uphill battle. But you know the truth, Gabby, is that for the most part, people who think they don't have anything, they actually afford ways to do other things. Like, you know, you'll be surprised at the number of people that are low-income earners that still go to Starbucks, still go to Dunkin' Donuts, still get their hair done and their nails done. It's just prioritizing. Yeah, but that's... Yeah, I guess. But that's also, like, it's hard because when you are... Like, it, you almost treat it as, like, self-care. I dated a guy who had who was wealthy and he would always be like, well, if I didn't have any money, all I would think about <laughs> is how to get money. And like my low income friends were like, you can't live like that. Like you have to do little things for yourself because you just can't live like in that constant state of stress. So I don't know. It's tough. I mean, nobody's right is essentially <laughs> what we're saying here. Yeah. And I agree that you have to you have to live life. You can't look like a hot mess because you're trying to save for 30 years from now. Obviously. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. it's almost like. 
have a balance. Like if you're going to Starbucks every single day, then just go twice a week or three times a week. And the other two days, that $5 cup of coffee, save the money instead. You know, create a balance. That's all. Yeah. And also try to, I don't know, (laughs) lobby the system. I don't know because I don't want to tell people not to have coffee. That's like such an old school I don't like that. The latte factor. Yeah. The latte factor. Like, I don't want to be like, hey, millennials, don't get your latte. (laughs) But also like um, the rich people at the top are fucking you every day. Like, I don't. It's like a tough thing. But people people don't know that there's such a thing as 401k. I think I was scared to even ask, like, what is this and why do I have this at this job? I agree. When I first started my job, when I first graduated from college years ago, I had no clue what a 401k is, also because I came from a completely different society, um, country. Yeah. Um, but as soon as I heard the, I went to my orientation, and as soon as I heard, we're going to match you and give you free money, I was all on it. So right. you, it's, all, it's important that take the initiative and just ask at work. So you grew up in Nigeria. How does this affect how you view the American financial system? What have you learned about saving for retirement, stuff like that, from your parents and from having an outside perspective? I mean, growing up with Nigerian parents in Nigeria, I came from a cash-based society, so credit was—it didn't exist. And you basically, if you couldn't afford it, then if you didn't have cash to buy it, then you couldn't afford it. And Mm. if you were trying to get a loan, then you had to have some serious collateral to put up for that loan, like your house or your soul or whatever. (laughs) So... (laughs) My and God. so I mean, I learned about credit cards from, from movies I would watch. And I got here and it was so accessible. And I remember being in college, I went to job fair. And I don't know why the credit card companies are job fairs, but there was a credit but card they company. they are. And they were like, come over here. We'll give you this free money and you can get a T-shirt and a pen. And I called my mom and I was like, hey, mom, you know, this company told me they can give me free money, $2,000. My mom was like, you better get the heck out of there because... <laughs> Yeah, it's not free. But I did go and get my free money anyway. And then after I had maxed out my $2,000 credit card, I realized that I was being charged 24.99% interest and I had to figure it out. So it was like a shock to my system because I had to kind of navigate all the tricks that were going on. Like, you know, financial responsibility and personal finance is not something that's taught as a class in colleges. It wasn't when I came to college here. But then the credit card companies are here offering me quote unquote free money. And that is just, you know, very shady. And I think that the financial services industry sometimes acts in a predatory way because people don't really have that education or insight as to, especially young people, as to what is right and what isn't. They kind of get caught up in the mix until it's like 10 years later. It's like, oh my God, I have all this debt I need to pay off. What am I going to do? That's what I mean about going to HR and being like, Hi, I like uh, to have my 401k, please. Like, I wouldn't even know how to, fr- I would need someone to write a script for me. <laughs> you just have to, to say what like, you said. I want my 401k. <laughs> Hello, I would like my 401k, yes. please. And then I wouldn't know if they were doing it right. Would they just, what do they do? They just hand you a check and then you well, go, thank you. <laughs> well, actually, you should be able to ask for a statement of your account if it's, you know, through your company. Like, how do I log in? Where is it being? What brokerage firm are you guys using? I want to log into my account and see what's happening. And if you look on your paycheck, actually, either online or when you get an actual paycheck, you can see the deductions if you signed up for it. You can see exactly how much money in dollars is being put in the 401k. And you can use that as a reference to call them and ask questions. Oh, I feel like they would yell at me, but I think everyone's (laughs) going to yell at me when I ask a question. So that's fine. Then yell back. Uh. (laughs) Ah. 
So for the most part, take Bola's advice. If you work at a full-time job, go talk to your HR department like yesterday. Find out what the deal with retirement savings is. Force yourself to have this uncomfortable conversation so that you can go back to talking about hair, sex, makeup, Kim Kardashian, you know, all the things that women love, which doesn't entirely sit right with me because in my case, I guess I just want to talk about the young Pope. Women have varied interests, but you know, she means talk about whatever your thing is. After the break, I'll talk to someone who's not only an expert when it comes to retirement, but also when it comes to me being a financial train wreck. Oh, we've got Allison's dad, you guys. Stay tuned. Longtime Bad With Money fans are very familiar with my best friend and comedy partner, Allison Raskin. Among other things, she's brilliant, detail-oriented, and unwilling to let me get away with any bullshit ever. And it turns out she gets a lot of that from our next guest, her dad, Ken Raskin, who's also an attorney who specializes in retirement. Ken told me that if I'm going to get my shit together and save for the future, I'd better start now. Um, Ken Raskin, I am the, the chair of the Employee Benefits and Executive Compensation Practice Group of King & Spalding, which is a law firm. And I'm also chairman of the board of an organization called the Plan Sponsor Council of America, which uh, started actually 70 years ago and has been protecting America's retirement system ever since then. The concern today is that with tax reform possibly coming, and if in fact it's tax reform that is to be revenue neutral, that means that if in fact tax rates are reduced, there's got to be somewhere else where they find money to make up for the fact that there's a loss of revenue by reducing tax rates. And we're very, and we're very concerned that they will look at retirement plans as a source of revenue. Because when you put money into a 401k plan, um, you get to take a tax deduction for that. And so that costs the government money. There are limits as to how much you can put into a 401k plan or how much a company can put into a plan. Um, and if those limits are reduced, then it saves the, the government money. But we think that that's a silly thing to do because that will reduce the savings of Americans uh, potentially, and that's not a good thing. And are so, they really trying to do? They're really trying to do that to retirement plans, just to what? To save themselves money? To fuck over the people? Well, they haven't said they're going to do that yet. So far, they say that they're going to protect retirement savings. They're not saying they're preserving retirement savings. They're saying they're protecting retirement savings. So we don't yet know what's going to happen, but at this point, they haven't yet said that they're going to have tax reform that is revenue neutral. Uh, and so if they're not going to have tax reform that's revenue neutral, it's going to increase the deficit. So it's, it's possible and maybe likely that they won't ever be able to pass such tax reform and that they'll be forced to do tax reform that's revenue neutral. And so if they have to find other revenue, where will they find it? They'll find it by reducing charitable contributions. They'll find it by reducing state and local taxes as a tax deduction. And they're already thinking about doing that. So if they need more money, then where they've looked in the past has always been to reduce the, the, the limitations that you have now for contributions to retirement plans. And, and right, because if, if you put money in a retirement fund, then um, they can't, the government doesn't get taxes from it, right? 
Well, they don't. If, if you put $100 into a 401k plan, then you don't pay taxes on that $100. Right, and they don't like that. Well, they're okay with it. They have been okay with it, but they may not be okay with it going forward. And they, they may say to everybody, well, we'll let you put money into your retirement plans, but you can't take a tax deduction for it. Even though you put it into your retirement plan, it's going to be subject to tax. And That's so, crazy. Doesn't that ruin, doesn't that make it harder for like older people? And doesn't that then cause the older people to be a drain on society even more so? Isn't that counterintuitive? Well, right now you have the choice. You can put money into a retirement plan with before tax dollars, right? So that's right. not taxed. But then when you receive it 30 years from now, you're going to be taxed. The premise is that in 30 years, your tax rate is going to be lower, and so that's going to be okay. You have the choice today of putting in money that's already been taxed, and then when you receive it in the future, it's not taxed again. Right. Right now, that's a choice. You don't have to do one or the other. You can choose yourself what makes sense for you, and different people are going to have different factors that will decide on what they want to do. What is possible is that the government may say everybody has to just put money that's already been taxed into the retirement plans. And, and and you can't get a tax deduction anymore. And and our fear, and we are going to be conducting some studies to see if this bears out, but we're concerned that, and as we talk to people, people tell us that if the only way to put money into a retirement plan is to use already taxed money, that the amount of contributions that will go into retirement plans will be reduced. People will have less money when they retire. There'll be more of a drain on the government at that point than they would have been. Are there simple steps that most people ought to take and just don't to save for retirement? Like, are there some things that you've seen? There's lots of examples out there about the benefits of putting money into the plan earlier rather than later. I just looked online quickly and saw an example under the America Funds retirement website where they say that if you were making $30,000 and you received 4% raises every year, and you plan to retire in 30 years. So let's say that you're 35 years old now, and you plan to retire when you're 65, and you put only 4% of your salary into the plan every year, and it earned 8%. That if you started today, you'd have about $220,000 when you retire. But if you waited five years before you started doing it, you'd only have $165,000. So it's really important for people like you, Gabby, to start <laughs> Start putting away for retirement now. And I, I, I did talk to your good friend, Allison, into doing that this year. You are Allison's father. Uh, so I feel like you've had a real front row seat to my financial problems. <laughs> yes, I, I, I guess I have. And, uh, good to see that they're not there anymore or so much. Yeah. I know that you had told Allison in the past that you would have helped me, which was so nice. And thank you. Well, you're welcome. Uh, you're, you've been a good friend to her for many years. Yes, yeah, she calls that the my like living wage for being friends with her. <laughs> what is the deal with Social Security? Does is that enough to live on? Do most people get that? Most people get that. For most people, that's not enough to live on. And the fear is that you know, unless something is done soon, there may not be Social Security to live on at all. You know, all the money will be used up, and so. I would not advise anybody, if they can afford to, to ever rely completely on Social Security. Where is that money going? What do you mean used up? They're not putting any more into it to help 
future generations? No, they do, and and um, and you pay Social Security taxes as well as me and everybody else. Right. But people are getting older, and what were the baby boomers are retiring, and it just not enough money is going in to pay for everything that's coming out. If every year the contributions are a thousand dollars, but the payments are two thousand dollars, sooner or later you could use up what's in the fund. And they don't seem concerned about that at the government. Well, they they say they're concerned, but it hasn't done much to do anything about it. It's just hard to to tell someone who's like paycheck to paycheck that they should save for retirement. But like if you had to convince someone who was living like that, how would you convince them that it's important? Well, I mean, obviously, some people you just can't. It, 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 yeah. If, if, if you're paycheck to paycheck and you're not going out spending 10 percent of your money having fun, um, you can't do it. You know, you, you, if you buy food and your clothes and your and your rent and you, you spend everything, you just can't save for retirement. But I think if you, if there's any extra, you want to try to, to take a part of that extra. Not all of it, obviously. You have to have fun. But uh, take a part of that extra and put that away for retirement. And you'll find that once you start doing that, you, you really won't miss that amount because it's not coming to you. It's going directly to your to retirement plan. I think Allison has joked that you're not going to retire because you're you'll be too bored. I'll be too bored. Yeah. Well, or or or, <laughs> or my wife won't uh, let me because she's afraid I'm going to nag her too much. But so <laughs> she needs you to not be home. Right. But, <laughs> now, when the time comes, I'll be fine with retiring. I'm not fine yet. So, um, but uh, I'll, I'll figure out stuff to do. But that's important, too, is to, is to think about it ahead of time so that you're, you're not sitting around doing nothing and that you enjoy your retirement because you're going to be working hard your whole life to get there. Right. So now you have to figure out what hobbies or volunteer stuff you're actually going to do when you don't have a job. Because I think like a lot of people, their job is their whole life. That's right. And so they'll work longer and that may be fine with them. The tough thing to do today is to think about retirement and to save enough money for retirement at the same time thinking about today and enjoying your life today because you can't not think about retirement because when you retire, you won't have the money, but you can't not enjoy your life today because unfortunately some people, you know, die before they retire. And so you, you, it's a fine line and a difficult thing to, to figure out how much to save today and how much you can spend today. And there's no magic to that. It's just a personal thing that you have to work out. Coming up, I'll try to figure out why we're all so fixated on retirement anyway, with the authors of a blog with one of the all-time great URLs, bitchesgetriches.com. Stay tuned. So far, we've talked a bit about how to retire, but it wouldn't be bad with money if we didn't also ask why, why, and who even gets to retire? We think of retirement as an essential part of our journeys through American life, but like so many parts of American life, the more you think about it, the less it makes sense. For this conversation, I'm joined by two people who seem to enjoy it when things don't make sense. Piggy and Kitty from the blog Bitches Get Riches. The idea of retirement doesn't resonate with our generation because the definition of work that it relies upon does not match with our lived experience of what work is. Mm -hmm. There are so many dimensions by which our, our parents' and grandparents' lives were maybe better, objectively better than ours. But one key way in which 
our lives are way better is that we have a lot more career and job mobility. We're, we're more mm-hmm. educated. We get married and have kids much later. So we have more options. But as part of that, we also have developed a more romantic view of what a career should be. It's not for supporting a family, paying bills. It's for personal fulfillment. You're supposed to find meaning and joy in your job. And, and the classic retirement model operates under the assumption that you hate what you do and you want to stop as soon as you can. And we have not redefined retirement to suit this new definition of what work for people in, in our age group are. And that's why no one cares. I think people think that they're going to be working when they're old, too, because a lot of our jobs are sort of passion projects. This old idea of, like, I'm going to go on vacations with my partner seems like that's not what millennials want. Exactly. Totally. We need to look at retirement not as that time when you stop being relevant in the world and just sit on your butt and do nothing. And think of it more as the time when you have the freedom to pursue your projects without being beholden to a day job to make ends meet, which is a much more enthusiastic and inspiring thing for millennials to work toward. And when you frame it in those terms, saving for retirement more becomes like saving for freedom. Yeah. Yes. Piggy and I are very down-to-earth folks, but at the core of us, we really believe that every human being is like a, a shining dewdrop of cosmic beauty and on some (laughs) instinctual level they know it and they were not put on this earth to be chai wallas and and powerpoint jockeys like there's more to money than just acquiring it there's more to life than just acquiring money and and retirement to us is like the pinnacle of personal freedom and autonomy it's it's the ability to be in a sound enough financial place to reject work that doesn't interest you. It doesn't mean you stop working. It's becoming the narrator in no scrubs. No, I don't want your number. No, I don't want to give you mine. (laughs) What if you're poor as fuck and it feels like you always will be? How can you make retirement a a concern to you? Mm -hmm. it's, It's infuriating because it shouldn't be this way. The system should not be built this way, right? We should No, that's what I was going to say. It sucks. It's it's complete nonsense. And I'll tell you, if you're poor or if you're struggling, it's not necessarily because you aren't working hard enough. But if you come home every day and you don't have the energy to turn around and freelance, that's totally fine. You're a human being. We understand and and we want to change things systematically. But also we recognize that this is the system that we are all living in right this moment. And we all need to like eat a couple of times every day so we have to account <laughs> I know. for that. This is what's so hard for me is because I want to give practical advice about mm-hmm. retirement on the show but I also am like in such a place where like fuck you to everything that yes. makes yeah. that the situation. Even I when I go onto those online retirement calculators and say okay here's how much I'm making um, here's how much I have set aside tell me my future please crystal ball and the internet crystal balls uniformly say you are so far behind you are straight fucked you are gonna die in poverty and i'm someone who is debt free and on track to retire early so a lot of those calculators and those rules of thumb for how to retire they're all based on mathematical formulas that are not necessarily true for a globalized economy that 
you know, has from a financial perspective changed so much since those formulas were created. Mm -hmm. But what is your version of retirement look like? For me, what that looks like is that I don't have to take on any work that isn't personally meaningful to me anymore. I can take on projects that pay me less or pay me nothing at all because the amount of money that I will need to get by on a month-to-month basis will be small enough that I can live off of basically peanuts. That's the real goal. It's not just accumulating massive stores of of invested wealth. It's yeah. about crushing anything that you have that is a debt or an obligation that you have to send money to someone every month because mm-hmm. that obligation means that you have to keep working. They don't care if you like your job or not. They don't care if you're personally fulfilled by it. They don't care if you're burnout and you're tired and you really could use a break for six months to just get your shit back together. No one cares. And I want to cut every institution and person out of my life that doesn't care about my well-being. Does that just mean like not having kids? <laughs> well, that, that too. Is, yeah, that helps a lot. That is a hashtag choice. Hashtag child that, free. Yeah. Hashtag child free. That is something that both of us have decided. And like, honestly, I have a lot of friends who are having babies right now. And, um, you know, this is something we're going to talk about more on the site um, as time goes on. But like kids are a huge financial commitment. And, you know, that is important to some people, and they should be able to have children and afford them. If you and... have kids, you're just never retired. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I, that's the other thing, too, is some people treat their kids like their retirement plan, which is horrifying to me. Because, you know, I don't, Yeah. I you know, I love my parents, and I want them to be financially solvent through their retirement, and I want them to use every last goddamn penny that they have earned through their lives of hard work, I want them to use it on themselves by going on vacation right. and like living the lives that they want in their retirement. I don't want to inherit anything. But at the same time, I don't want my retirement savings to suffer by having to take care of parents who maybe did not prepare for retirement or maybe wasted money in one way or another. I'm not saying my parents have, mm-hmm. but like that, that scares yeah. the crap out of me because, you know, again, as millennials, we have a lot of claims on our money and how are you supposed to pay off your student loans and save for retirement if you're also paying for your parents retirement i'm not paying for my parents anything but they've made clear they do not have a retirement oh so that's fun great um (laughs) our generation i think you've said isn't saving as much for retirement as generations past it's just too abstract of a concept i don't know it Mm. feels so weird to be like save for retirement but also the world is burning right enjoy that (laughs) Well, I think there's a couple of factors involved there. And one is, you know, for those of us who graduated 2008, 2009, 2010, we saw what's that movie where they're all freaking out about the housing bubble bursting or whatever. Um, Oh, The Big Short. Yes, The Big Short. That's a great movie. It was it made me so angry. I've watched it so many times. (laughs) It made me so mad watching it. So people who graduated in those years and, like, witnessed that happening on Wall Street and, like, the news freaking out about it and their parents freaking out about it and just, like, not having any jobs available in the traditional white-collar sector um, or, you know, the retail sector for that matter. I think those those people were kind of scarred by beginning their financially sort of adult lives in that realm where they were like well shit could blow up at any goddamn time this has already happened to us once why should i trust the system with my money if you know we've got this this 
thing in recent memory that just screwed a bunch of people over. So I think the trust factor of, you know, putting your money somewhere other than your quaint little savings account in the local credit union seems really scary to those people. Yeah, this is a part where diversify, 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 especially living under the orange oozing pustule that is our president. Um, (laughs) It is key to diversify because you, you honestly like whether we have options for investing in our retirement, investing in our houses, investing in making ourselves debt free. I don't care where so much people are investing. If you have any one of those things, you're doing really, really, really well. Mm -hmm. So that's something I would tell to young people is like if the idea of saving for retirement just seems like the straw that is going to break your back, as long as you are investing in yourself, you are investing in your retirement because retiring will be way easier if you pay off your student loans ahead of time. Retiring yeah. will be way easier if you buy a house and you can own it outright. Your needs as a retired person will go way down if you don't have those those debt obligations. So instead of just saving for retirement, think about it as like investing in stuff that will then help you at least. Like even yes, if exactly. you're Precisely. if you own your house, at least you have like a place to live. You could work from there, or you could rent out exactly. a room mm-hmm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. You, know, you have more options. It's just like when you're paycheck to paycheck with your rent, it's so shitty. And yeah. I don't know, the whole thing is just so scary. Like, it's so scary to be like, these are the practical ways to do retirement. Mm-hmm. And you're like, that's chill. I, I need gas money. Right, right. Yeah. And it, like, I, I feel it's like we've, so scary. We've gotten a little far away from that. And I, I, I'm so glad we're circling back around to that because. There are people out there who are probably listening being like, fuck you, bitches. You own houses. Great for you. Like, I'm still saddled under $50,000 of student loan debt. My husband, he started with twice the amount of student loan debt that I did. And he was trying to pay it off very quickly as well. So by the time that I paid it off and was like, woohoo, let's go out to dinner for once. Let's splurge for once because I just paid off my student loans. He was like, cool. I'm at the point where you started. So how about we just eat it? Right. (laughs) Thank you, guys. Thanks for having us, Gabby. Absolutely. This was very exciting for us. I know you guys can't see us, but... Um, we're we're all wearing nice outfits. I can sense it. Oh, totally. The three of us are so I'm cute. wearing a hoodie, so no. <laughs> so you might ask, Gabby, we've talked about other people. What are you doing retirement-wise? Ho, 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 listener. Well... I put some money in a SEP IRA because I'm a freelancer. Technically, I work in show business. uh, And so I don't have a 401k. I could get one, but I don't have one from a business. Also, anytime I've ever had a job, I don't think I've ever opted into the 401k because I just never assumed I would be at that job long enough, which I think is a mistake. So let's see. I put $8,000 in a SEP IRA, which is just like I made a bunch of money from the sale of a project and then I immediately put it into retirement. And then I got $5,000 more from something else and I put it in retirement. Now, I already have a savings account, but the best thing about the retirement account is that I don't touch it. I don't see it. I send it to the people. They have it. There's no way for me to go, oh, I'm, I'm short on rent this month. I should pull from that because if I do, there's fees. So in a way, it's like when you set up an obstacle course for yourself sober 
and then you know that when you're drunk you'll like end up with Advil and water so that money is safe from my greedy hands until such time as I retire I feel like this episode was one of our more like normative episodes in the sense of working within the system and I also wanted to talk about people who are undocumented or sex workers or people who can't get hired for uh, you know jobs with 401ks they work primarily in cash and I think people like that you can't even think about saving for retirement and that's where I think that idea of putting one dollar away in a jar you know when I was younger and I was getting paid a lot in cash I think I went down to the bank and would give them the money in cash to put in a savings account. And I would consider that maybe a retirement plan, but then I would always end up pulling that money out. So don't feel ashamed about that. That is a systemic problem because nobody who is working should have to be worried about their future. I asked this of Allison's dad, well, what are they doing about Social Security? If they know it's being drained, what are they doing? No plan. <laughs> but at least maybe this is helpful in terms of getting you to start thinking about it and getting you to start feeling like even if you're putting away a dollar a week and you have $52 in a jar, at least that's something. But probably most of us will be working forever or the world will end and we won't have to think about it. And that's sort of the premise of this whole show, isn't it? <laughs> Maybe we'll have to work on this, but probably the world will end. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Bad With Money. If you like the show, please rate and review us in iTunes. <laughs> oh, please. And be sure to tell all your friends who are bad with money that this is the show for them. Also tell your friends who could quit their jobs tomorrow and spend the next 50 years sightseeing and posting Instagram photos guilt-free. We are part of the Panoply Network. Our producers are Sam Dingman and Afim Shapiro. Andy Bowers is Panoply's chief content officer. Original music for our show was composed by Zach Sherwin, Mike Kaplan, and Jack Dolgen. Our theme song is performed by Sam Barbera, and our show art is by Cameron Glavin and Dan Blondell. Someone asked if our theme song could win a Grammy, and I'm not opposed. I'm Gabby Dunn. See you next week. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.